We know it's the season for spooky things, but not much is scarier than running out of first aid supplies and basic chicken keeping items on the farm. Honey and Rue is a great way to discover new products and stay stocked up on some of the everyday things you'll need as a chicken keeper. Henny and Rue is a monthly box put together by chicken keepers for chicken keepers and their flock. Each month you'll receive products that may not be available at your local feed store to help build up your poultry first aid kit, try new treats and coop products to keep your flock healthy and happy. And there's always a fun gift for the humans too. So go to honeyandroot.com and save 10% off your first box using code DRINKANDFARM. As a subscriber, you can also visit the honeyandroot.com shop to purchase select items and save 10% off everything. Honey and Rue, better chicken keeping delivered. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey, Bev. What you drinking today? I just opened a beer by Masthead Brewing Company, and they're located in Cleveland, and the beer is called Falling Fruit. Ooh. Yeah. It's a beer that has apples and peaches, and it's an ale, so I'm looking forward to this one. Yum. What'd you open over there? So I opened a Blake's Hard Cider Company Apple Lantern, which is a roasted pumpkin hard cider. Mmm. Yeesh. Very seasonal. Did you just combine pumpkins and apples? I did. Yeah. (laughs) Because sometimes, you know what, you don't have to pick sides. You can just love things equally. So there. That's amazing. (laughs) Our drink peep this episode is Kayla Wood, which is at Honey Creek Homestead over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. So I just realized I forgot to drop this in the notes, but I had a tiny bit of follow-up from our last episode, our winterization episode. So I was trying to figure out why my de-icers wouldn't work in a plastic tub. And it's because mine don't have the protective cage on them. Oh, mine don't either. Oh, yours don't either? No. Well, geez. <laughs> Maybe I just live life on the edge. I'll actually have to, like, read the box. <laughs> make sure I'm not going to melt down anything plastic. Well, if it didn't melt last year, it's probably not going to this year. But I was looking at them online, and I was looking at mine, and that was the only difference I could see. Well, that, and I think mine are, like, way overpowered for my tiny troughs. But that, yeah, that's probably I, I had to get what I could get, so. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> So I was like, oh, I'm going to help people out here and tell them what to look for if they need to de-ice plastic things. I mean, ignore me. That was not helpful either. But it was funny. I mean, I tried. I get points for that, right? I mean, I think if if you have the option to buy a caged version versus a non-caged version, then people know that there are two different kinds now. And maybe they didn't know that before. So I think it was still helpful. It's just funny that maybe I might just be breaking all the rules. 
<laughs> well, whatever it is, if it works on your farm, it works, right? <laughs> yeah, until something lights on fire. So TBD on if I'm doing the right uh, thing or not. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Thankfully, there's a lot of rain and snow. So hopefully the yes. fire is small. <laughs> and it's cold and it's in water. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now we can just dive into our episode. We have a spooky Halloween episode for you guys today. We're going to talk about pumpkin diseases. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. I'm doing all my own sound effects today. <laughs> I like it. I mean, we don't have a soundboard. No. So if you want sound effects, that's the only way to do it. <laughs> if you would like us to get sound effects, please go to patreon.com slash farm and support our podcast at $2 a month. <laughs> exactly (laughs) until then you get to hear me um make fun spooky noises okay but last year we talked about um chicken cannibalism so we always like to try to pick something a little spookier around uh halloween and we've been talking about pumpkins a lot lately and pumpkin diseases are a little scary might look a little ugly and overall it'll probably make you really sad if you have diseased pumpkins Yeah, because diseases spread on pumpkins really, really fast, and they can be kind of hard to treat, uh, but there are some treatment options, and there are also some super cool ways to prevent it. So what we're going to talk about today is like a mix of some like conventional fungicide sprays, but also some like more natural kitchen angled approaches, I guess. So you can kind of pick and choose what you think will work for you and I don't know maybe make some notes and then you'll figure out how to grow pumpkins successfully with you know no diseases hopefully is the idea yeah or you'll have to come back to this episode in like the middle of summer and you'll be like why is Sam talking about spooky Halloween when we're talking about pumpkins (laughs) so sorry in advance Oh, that's all right. I think it's going to be good. People can just revisit these and they can cool off in the summer with all of our talk of how cold it yes. was. So. And the pumpkin apple cider. Yum. Mm-hmm. Yum. So our uh, source for this episode was a website called gardeningknowhow.com. There'll be a link in the show notes to uh, the things that we're referencing today. Yes. Yeah, so make sure you check that out. But I think we're going to do a pretty decent job covering it. Um But if you do have to come back to that, you can always just grab the link from the show notes in case you kind of have an idea of what you're already dealing with. Save you some time. Um, Because it is really important to identify these issues as soon as possible. So if you're suspecting or just flat out know that you have diseases affecting your pumpkins, you want to be able to move as quickly as possible. Because early detection will enable you to treat the symptoms early on and hopefully you'll be able to save the crop. And it's helpful to not only recognize the symptoms of infectious diseases within your garden, but also to know how they spread and survive. So we'll be talking about those today, too. And diseases afflicting pumpkins may be foliar. What is that word that I would never use? (laughs) Foliar is the foliage. Foliage. It's the leaves. Oh, shoot, guys. I'm learning so much already. So, I mean, yeah. So it might be on the actual leaves or it might be on the pumpkin or the fruit itself. So keep an eye on the whole plant, essentially. Yeah. 
Foliar disease often opens up the plant to other infectious diseases, as well as sunscald, which can really hurt your plants too. Uh, and when we talk about foliar diseases, we're talking about powdery mildew, downy mildew, white speck, which is also called, well, it's not also called, but like the scientific name for it is plectosporium. And then there's also gummy stem blight and anthranthes. I know I messed that last one up. I don't know how to say that word. You're doing better than I am with the words. <laughs> I didn't even know what foliar was, so you're good. <laughs> so those are the most common foliar diseases that could affect your pumpkins. All right, so let's get down and dirty. So first we're going to talk about powdery mildew, and it looks exactly like it sounds. So first this is seen on the lower leaf surface. Powdery mildew is a white powdery covering of the spores that move from the lower leaf surface to the upper, eventually defoliating the pumpkin plants. That sounds dirty. Like defoliating. It basically makes them naked. Ew. <laughs> yeah, because they can't photosynthesize when they're naked. Oh, no. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So the spores for powdery mildew uh, survive in the soil and the crop residue, which is basically like the plant that you take out at the end of the year, you know, the dead, Mm. dying, dried up thing. Um, And it's also spread via the wind, which makes it kind of hard to control. Shoot, that sucks. Yep. So this is actually one of the easiest diseases to identify, and unlike other foliar diseases, uh, this tends to increase in severity during periods of dry weather. But you can prevent powdery mildew by using baking soda spray. So here's one of the kitcheny things Bev was talking about at the beginning. So you're going to use one tablespoon of baking soda, half a teaspoon of non-detergent liquid soap, and one gallon of water. And you can cover the leaves top and underside. You don't want to spray right up before a sunny day, or you could potentially burn your plants. But this is one way that you can prevent powdery mildew. Yeah, and another way is by making a milk spray. Also kitcheny. 40% milk, 60% water. Put it in a spray bottle, mix it up, and spray covering all the areas of the leaves. And um, just a heads up, you shouldn't mix either of these things like ahead of time and hold onto them. They may lose their effectiveness, so they're best used when you like mix them from the kitchen and go straight out there and use them. And anything that's left over, you just kind of got to dump. But these are all pretty inexpensive, like kitchen supplies yeah. that most people should have on hand. So another way to prevent powdery mildew is to rotate where you plant with non cucur what is cucurbit what the hell is that now (laughs) so non cucurbit so uh pumpkins are from the cucurbit family so anything that's in the cucurbit plant family is also susceptible to powdery mildew. Oh. So one of the ways that you can prevent it is by rotating your crops around. But like you don't want to put them, say, like where cucumbers are, because cucumbers are also susceptible to powdery mildew. So if your cucumbers last year had powdery mildew and then you plant pumpkins in that spot, your pumpkins are definitely going to have oh. it. <laughs> I know, so annoying, right? Yes. <laughs> My gosh. So obviously, you know, to treat, you use the fungicide at the first sight of powdery mildew 
Um, so yeah, be vigilant with your plants. <laughs> yeah, don't let this one sit. Powdery mildew is like it's the beastiest beast mm. of of cucurbit diseases. I'm so glad you know <laughs> how to say that word. So the next uh, plant disease that we're going to talk about is downy mildew. And downy mildew looks like lesions that are on the upper surface of the foliage, so the top of the leaves. And initially, the lesions are yellow spots, or they look like angular water-soaked areas. And the best way I can describe it is like it looks like a yellow splash of water has like affected your leaf. And what happens is uh, the lesions essentially kill the plant material as it progresses, which basically just kills your plant. So for downy mildew, cool, wet conditions foster this disease. And again, the spores are dispersed via the wind. Yay, wind. Uh, Planting early season varieties can also reduce the chances of downy mildew infiltrating the crop as the disease is generally more common late in the growing season when conditions are cool and rains are more likely. Um, If you do run into this issue, you can use broad spectrum fungicides. They are somewhat effective against downy mildew. So another thing just to be vigilant about with your pumpkins. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the next one that we'll talk about is nose. <laughs> I'm going to figure out how to say that word eventually. White speck and gummy stem blight. <laughs> and nose, <laughs> that sounds like such a funny word, begins as small light brown spots that are outlined with a darker um, area that expands as it progresses. So as it gets worse, they get bigger. Surprise, surprise. And eventually the leaves actually develop holes in them and the fruit will have these lesions on them as well, which means that they won't hold up or be storable. So basically the fruit dies. Um, for white speck or plectosporium, I think I nailed that one. Did I nail that mm-hmm. one? Yes. Um, Nailed it. Also appears as tan spindle shaped lesions on the surfaces of the leaves. Fruit can become afflicted, showing tiny white spots that are more circular in shape than the diamond shaped leaf lesions. And gummy stem blight affects almost all cucurbits and it's caused by two things. And one of them is... Didymella bryonae and Foma cucurbitacearum. <laughs> that was a mouthful. So those are basically just like two uh, funguses of sorts that can affect the plant and cause these things to happen. And fun fact, this disease is most common in the southern United States. Also sounds like one of the yummier ones, like gummy, makes me think of gummy bears, but then blight kind of ruins the whole thing. Yeah, it totally does. (laughs) (laughs) And again, with these three fungicide applications at the first sign of any of these diseases will aid in reducing and combating them. So again, keep an eye on your pumpkins. That's like the common theme of this whole thing. Just keep an eye on your pumpkins. 
Yep. And in fact, because I do grow some pumpkins and cucumbers and stuff, I always keep a bottle of fungicide on hand mm-hmm. just in case so that I have it so I can use it. I didn't use it this year. I lost all my cucumbers to blight of Aww. some kind eventually. I'm guessing it was powdery mildew. That seems to be the most common one that I get around here. And I just let it go. And now that I've learned all of this, I feel like I should have taken care of it or at least just ripped the plants out if I was going to let it go mm-hmm. rather than just letting it sit in the soil so we'll see what I end up with next year because of that but I'm definitely going to rotate everything around (laughs) oh yeah you gotta (laughs) rotate your non-cucumbents or whatever it's called (laughs) yeah (laughs) your (laughs) non-pumpkins I try to avoid like spraying unless I absolutely have mm-hmm. to. And like when the diseases show up really late in the year, I tend to choose just not to spray because yeah. it's not worth it to extend the season just like two or three weeks unless like it's really close to having a bunch of things ripen and I want to keep the plant longer. But the plant's kind of hobbling along anyways. I tend to just let them go oh, and okay. I should just rip out when that happens instead of letting it just like decimate the whole plant right there in my soil. <laughs> <laughs> So additional disease problems with growing pumpkins. We'll uh, we'll go through a couple more here. So there's black rot and black rot caused by Didiomella bryoni. Maybe I'm close. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the same, and this is the same fungus that causes gummy stem blight and results in gray, large gray blotches on the fruit that become black rotted areas, which if you're decorating for Halloween, I mean, that might just kind of work for you. <laughs> yeah, it might be a little stinky, though. <laughs> yeah. And, and typically this happens when you have warm, humid summer nights um, that that atmosphere loves to create black black rot so maybe it wouldn't line up with your timing of fall decor um these spores are dispersed through water and wind and there's no there are no disease resistant varieties so all of your pumpkins are at risk for black rot oh fun yeah And unfortunately, treating this pumpkin disease with cultural control alone is insufficient. And this is a fun new word. If you're newer to gardening, cultural controls are ways of modifying the garden environment to hamper pests and breeding. Mm. So uh, if we're talking about cultural controls, we're talking about things like crop rotation or uh, companion planting. Those are cultural controls because what we're trying to do is break the cycle of the pests by doing these things. And unfortunately, with black rot, you can't do it with cultural control alone. So if you find black rot, know that that's not going to make it go away in your garden, unfortunately. So you'll want to cover the area that's been affected with black rot with some sort of chemical control, um, which would be a fungicide that would take care of black rot. And you can apply it in 10 to 14 day intervals, beginning when the vines have a heavy canopy of leaves, and that should help keep it back and stop it. And then eventually after that year, the cycle will be broken and then you'll be good to go from then on out. But you definitely want to catch this one early. For sure. Moving on to first <laughs> crown rot. We'll call this one crown rot. Do you know how to say Fusarium. Fusarium. That sounds like a fairy name. 
So Fusarium crown rot is separate, not related to Fusarium wilt. Um, Wilting is a sign of crown rot along with yellowing of the entire plant. Uh, Over a two to four week period, the plant eventually decays. This leaves, the leaves will be marked with water soaked or necrotic areas while fruit symptoms vary depending on the Fusarium pathogen. Uh, Yet again, the spores survive in the soil for long periods of time and spread uh, through the use of farm equipment. Joy! (laughs) (laughs) There are no disease-resistant varieties for this one either, and crop rotation will slow the Fusarium pathogen population, so that's always an option if you have this issue. And there are, unfortunately, no chemical controls for this disease. Want 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 indeed. Yeah, when you say farm equipment, that includes your gardening equipment too. Because I know a lot of us are on the smaller scale for pumpkins, so we won't be like driving tractors through our pumpkin patches yet. But all the things you use on your pumpkins are included in that. <laughs> I know. Bleach water. I use a bucket of bleach water to dip uh, implements in, in between working and beds. I find that that helps keep it down um, a little bit. And sometimes I'm lazy and forget to do that. So then things spread. But, you know, it's good advice if I can follow it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The next one is Slelrotonia rot. Nice. I mean, that's got to be close, right? I think it's perfect. Slurl, uh, I'm not going to try to say it again. (laughs) This kind of rot is a cool season disease that affects many types of vegetables. So it doesn't just affect pumpkins. And unfortunately, this pathogen can survive in the soil indefinitely. Oh, no. Yes. I mean, now we're like getting into the hardcore diseases. These are the ones that you're probably not likely to see, but they're still kind of interesting to hear about, I think. Right. Cool temps and high relative humidity are great places for this rot to develop. And it what it does is it puts a white cottony mold around the water-soaked infected area. So it needs lots of water to survive, and it'll look like white cotton mold is growing around your plants. Ugh. Ugh, I know. What? Hearing that makes me go, Moo. I feel like I've said that a lot this the last few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there are also um, black slorotia. What that what it looks like is it looks like black watermelon seeds will be growing within oh. that white mold. Yuck. And basically, like, what this combination does is it just makes the whole plant, including the fruit, like, totally rot. So spores are spread through the wind. There's no disease-resistant pumpkin varieties, unfortunately. And fungicides can be effective on this if it's applied to young plants. You know, I realize we haven't said this yet. We've talked about fungicides a lot. You want to make sure that you read the bottle on your fungicides about, like, what you should be wearing and how to apply it mm. safely because fungicides are like pretty hardcore a lot of them yeah. are copper fungicides so like you want to wear gloves you want to wear goggles you don't want to breathe it in like there are rules about when you can harvest after you've sprayed it so make sure that you, before you spray anything on your garden you read the instructions because it is usually like 
less experienced uh, people and using chemicals that tend to end up with issues from using them because mm. we're just not mm. accustomed to having to like do all that stuff. Everything like we bite at the store, we think it's safe. <laughs> right. But with the fungicides, like you don't want to mess around with them. You want to read and make sure that you follow the instructions like to a T on the bottle. And there's a lot of them, but it's a smart thing to do. <laughs> okay. Our next one is Phytophthora blight. And this is a serious disease caused by a fungal pathogen that can reside in the soil indefinitely and spread rapidly. So this sounds like zombies in your soil to me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, The primary symptoms can be viewed on the fruit and spreads to the vines. A soft rot combined with an expanding area of white cottony mold is seen. It also can afflict other crops, not just pumpkins. Uh, It is most severe when late summer is cool and wet. The spores are dispersed through water splash, wind, and equipment use. And there are no disease-resistant varieties of pumpkins. Um, Crop rotation may reduce the severity of the disease for future crops, as well as avoiding planting in soil that drains poorly or tends towards standing water. And fungicide applications can reduce losses. Okay, we got one more fungus to talk about, and it's bacterial fruit spot. And bacterial fruit spot is common amongst pumpkins and other fall squashes. It presents as small lesions on the fruit, and the foliage can have like small dark lesions, but they're harder to see than the lesions that are on the fruit. So if you're looking for this disease, the fruit is the place to look. And they look kind of like scabs. So they eventually enlarge, becoming blisters that eventually flatten. And in fact, I did have a, what did I have this year? I had something that developed that. I can't remember what it is. They were melons. But those are, some of those are probably from a similar plant family. So that kind of makes sense. The outside of the rind of the melon had like, like, I don't know how to describe it. It looked kind of like pus like like pimples on them but they were just had water in them interesting yeah so uh bacteria are spread with infested crop residue contaminated seed and water splash and you want to rotate crops with other non-cucurbit crops to prevent this and you can apply a copper spray during the early formation of the fruit to reduce the incidence of bacterial fruit spot. So uh, the moral of the story with fungus is rotate, <laughs> rotate, rotate, <Yeah>. rotate. <laughs> and watch for it. You need to treat early. And if you can't get it under control, rip the plants out and don't compost them because it'll live mm. in your in your compost. So yeah, burn it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Bam, fire. This episode is sponsored in part by Grubbly Farms. Grubbly Farms is the official poultry feed and snack sponsor of the We Drink and We Farm Things podcast. Grubblies are a nourishing daily snack that chickens love. These black soldier fly grubs are protein-packed and calcium-rich, which means your flock will get the nutrients and minerals they need for healthier feathers and stronger eggshells. And if your chickens are molting like ours, this is the perfect guilt-free snack to help your flock out. 
while molting is a natural process for chickens, there's no reason not to help them out here and make that process go a little bit faster, especially as the temps are dropping lower and lower each night. So head on over to grublyfarms.com and use code FARM15 to get 15% off your first order. You can do a one-time order or subscribe and save with each auto shipment while never running out of grublies. So last but certainly not least, we need to touch on pumpkin viruses. <sighs> Maybe I should have cheered. I don't know. I don't know what the right know. response is to that. <laughs> More sound effects. There we go. <laughs> So there are a number of viral diseases such as cucumber mosaic virus, papaya ring spot virus, squash mosaic virus, and zucchini yellow mosaic virus that can afflict pumpkins. Foliage of virus infected plants tend to be molted and distorted. And plants that are infected early in development or near or before the bloom time are most seriously affected and produce fewer fruit. Womp womp. That's so sad. It is sad. (laughs) And fruit that does develop on these plants that are afflicted with these viruses tends to be kind of misshapen. So if you like Mm. pull a zucchini or a pumpkin that doesn't look like it's shaped right, chances are there's something funky going on with the leaves. And... Uh, If the plant is infected, once the pumpkins have attained their full size, though, there is rarely any effect on the quality of the fruit. So if you go out there one day and notice this, but your pumpkins are fully grown, you're probably in the clear. And these viruses survive in weeds or are spread by insects, usually aphids. Mm. Aphids are the bane of my existence. (laughs) And late pumpkins tend to have a greater chance of becoming infected with a virus. So you want to plant early maturing varieties or, you know, plant your pumpkins earlier in the season so that you're not trying to keep them hobbling through the late season because late season crops tend to struggle just a little more than Mm. prime season crops do. And you can uh, keep the area weeded to reduce your chances of infection with a virus. And that's it. We hope you're sufficiently scared of pumpkin diseases now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm terrified. I feel like I saw all of these diseases this year and I only planted like four pumpkin plants. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Let us not discourage you from pumpkin planting. Just be vigilant and have fungicide on hand and know how to use it. Yeah. And, you know, you can always try that baking soda and... Um, Mm, milk mm -hmm. thing as a preventative because one thing that I've known to be true in gardening if I can prevent my plants from getting infected with one thing they tend to be stronger and less susceptible to other things that happen like they have immune systems I mean they don't have immune systems just like ours I don't want to say that because that sounds kind of dumb because they don't they're not that complicated but when they're already struggling like something else can swoop in and just like take them out so it feels smart to just try to keep them as healthy as possible indeed so now it's time for we can't even corner yay hooray all right bev what can't you even about this week okay so this week i'm gonna talk about murder hornets murder (laughs) and unfortunately the murder hornet has eluded Washington State scientists. What? 
Which is freaking terrifying. Uh, well, how do they know it's eluded them? Like, have they seen them and they just can't find them again? Or what? Yes. So what happened is, I'll actually read part of this. This article is from NPR and it has a cool little like audio podcast version that goes along with it. And it says, researchers have lost track of an Asian giant hornet that they were following, which is a stinging setback in the pursuit to eradicate an invasive species that threatens to decimate North American bee populations. So the reason why murder hornets are called murder hornets is because what they do is they go into beehives and murder the whole hive. And it just takes one of them. Oh. They don't murder people, although I bet if you got stung by one, like it wouldn't be pleasant by any chance. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> there's, there's this guy on YouTube that like purposely stings himself with crazy animals and he did um, Asian murder hornet. And it oh, terrible. Ow. Yeah. I would never do that. No. Ever. No. I've only been stung by a wasp once and it was in the back of the neck and never again. No. Yeah. No, I would never want to do that. So what happened is Washington state officials actually had trapped a live giant hornet, which is the murder hornet, and they put a, a tracking device on its belly using dental floss. Oh, how cute. It is. It's super <laughs> cute. But unfortunately, not long after they released the female hornet into the wild, the trail went cold. Because what they were trying to do was they were hoping that they could track her back to their nest so they could go eradicate it. Because they just had this one. Because like when I read this at first, I was like, well, why did you let her go? That feels like a smashing situation. <laughs> <Here>. <laughs> but they're trying to find, you know, like where their nests are so that mm -hmm. they could all be destroyed because they're an invasive species. They don't belong here. This isn't their natural habitat. And invasive species can really do a lot of damage to an ecosystem. Yeah. So yeah. you definitely want to do that. And this is a really time sensitive mission because winter hibernation is right around the corner, which means that they're about to just like burrow underground and spawn more hornets. And we're not going to be able to see them because they're not going to be coming <sighs> out because it's cold. So that's why we need to get these murder hornets under control. That's why scientists are trying to track them. And the clock is ticking. So... I find that to be relatively terrifying for our Halloween episode. <laughs> there you go. Dang it. I should have found a scary can't even, but I didn't. <laughs> oh, well, we can make it scary. No, wait. We can't make this scary. Just kidding. No. No, mine's not an article. It's just somebody that I'm newly obsessed with on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is the Swiss, the Swiss Shepherdess. Um, and her name is Claire, and she's documenting her family's life as a Swiss shepherding family. And they're, like, up in the mountains and walking their goats and their sheeps around because, like, they're sheeps. They're sheep around up and down mountains, like, traversing, going on, like, this annual, like, move my sheep mission. Um, <laughs> she says it a lot better than I do. Um, and, of course, there's accents involved. And, of course, there's baby lambs and big fluffy dogs and sheeps with bells on their necks. Um, oh. And then while they're walking, they're just lots of bells noises and it's tranquil af to watch and i kind of like you know her life is probably actually like really hard because they're they seem very remote and you like you're walking all these animals around like it's got to be tough but also it's kind of like man that seems like the life right there uh so you guys need to just go check it out and live vicariously through her um if you're interested in that sort of thing 
uh, I, I find it very relaxing to watch her. Yes, you sent her to me and I started following her and now I'm sort of stalking her as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so stalk her with us. <laughs> yes, you will not be sad or disappointed. No. And make sure you guys send us your can't evens in the Facebook group or via Facebook Messenger, Instagram, or email them to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com because we like to talk about those in our mini-sodes. And we can't do that if you don't send them to us. And leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts because we read one review a week. And at the beginning of each month, we draw the names out of a hat of all the reviews we read the previous month, and that person wins an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. So would you like to read our review this week, Sam? I would. And the title is Farmtastic. Love these ladies. They chat about happenings on their farm and give interesting tidbits and fun stories. Great to listen to with a beer in hand walking the garden rows or checking on chickens, my kind of people. And this is from at Kathy Zintnik on Instagram. So cheers. Thank you for sending us that lovely review. Yes, thank you. We love it. These reviews seriously keep us going. We text them to each other every time we see a new one come in. Yes. It's a very exciting highlight of our day. Yes. So be sure and hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen, because this helps more people like you find us. And do us a favor and share this episode over on Instagram in your stories and tag at Drink and Farm. Uh, We will send you a promo code just for that episode, which will give you a percentage off in our shop. We have our October shirts that will be going away very soon. So if you want to snag those, uh, share the episode, get a discount code and head on over to our merch shop. Yeah, and in fact, uh, our November shirts of the month are ready, so we're actually going to give early access to the people that are on our newsletter list, so it's too late to get early access now by the time this episode drops, but if you want early access to the next shirt of the month that we're ahead of schedule on, go join that. It's a good way to keep up on the news. And I swear, we only send out a couple emails per month. So you don't like get spammed every other day or anything. (laughs) We don't have time for that. (laughs) No, we don't. (laughs) Make sure you check out our show notes to find links to the article we discussed today, a survey to tell us how we're doing anonymously, and all of our social media goodness and our merch shop. So that's it, guys. We hope uh, we helped you grow pumpkins next year. Yeah, and until next time, drink, farm, and give zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things.